1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Sunday Social. It's lovely to have you back. Thank you for joining me. My name is Lucy Moon and if you don't already know, The Sunday Social is a pop culture brunch podcast. Oh, lots of words. This week we are talking about the future of activism, which is actually a topic quite close to my heart because when I was growing up, I went to a lot of protests, like real life, in the flesh, marching down some street in London protests. I really loved it. It was a really good time and I have very like positive memories of that experience. However, with the rise of social media, activism has changed. There is no denying it. And I find it really fascinating how The online world kind of intersects with real-life protest and real-life activism. Obviously, online activism is the real world, but how can we bring it into a tangible form and actually make long-term change? So I had a sit-down and spoke to Amika George, who is the founder of the Free Periods campaign. For those of you that don't know, late last year she started this campaign, and actually through All of her efforts managed to get the government to commit at least a million pounds in the next couple of years towards ending period poverty. I think that's an incredible achievement for one woman. I'm in awe of her. I went to her protest back in, I think it was December time, um, outside Downing Street, and I felt so moved by the whole experience and she's only 18 years old so this is a woman who's grown up on social media but is affecting real life change i thought it'd be great to just sit down with her and have a chat about her experiences and what she's learned so here it is this is the sunday social in conversation with amica george i'm here with amica george who is uh, the founder of the imperial poverty movement is that how you describe yourself how would you how do you intro yourself
2: Um, So I normally just say, like, I'm a student from North London, and I started free periods, campaigns end period poverty in the UK. Um, Yeah, I describe myself as an activist, and yeah. (laughs) I love that That so much.
1: Um, Right, I want to ask you to start with, just because I'm, this whole episode is about the future of activism, and about online activism as well, but just for a bit of background for the listeners... Um, how did you get involved with this campaign? Like, how did you kind of initiate this movement?
2: So it started in April 2017, um, after I read about girls in the UK missing school because they can't afford menstrual products. And I think I was just kind of watching the news or reading the news and I saw these girls in Leeds, actually, who were missing school for ev- one week every month just because they couldn't afford pads and tampons. Or they were going to school and they were using toilet paper or socks or newspaper, just whatever they could find. And I just couldn't believe that. I was just in shock. Um Kind of among my family and friends, I'd never heard of it, and nobody I knew was ever suffering from period poverty. So it was all really overwhelming for me. And doing research on it, I couldn't find that anyone in power like any politicians were doing anything about it even though in the media it was going around nobody was really coming up with a solution so I had this idea to um, ask the government to provide free menstrual products to children on free school meals and so that's kind of where it started and I started a petition on change.org and called it free periods and then yeah it all kind of just like happened really quickly so in a couple of weeks it got over 2,000 signatures and yeah it was just amazing and. It was just really cool to think that a lot of people agreed and wanted to see change as much as I did.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's interesting how it took off because I didn't know who you were or about the movement that much until it came up on Facebook, I think, oh, really? for me. And I I have a history of like going to protests as a kid yeah. um, and as a teenager, but I hadn't been to one in ages. I kind of become disenfranchised with all the political movements at the moment yeah and then I saw the free periods movement and I was like oh this this makes so much sense to me it's so accessible it's so easy mm. I can show up to this protest and it I really do feel like I'm making some noise yeah. we were right outside horse guards right yeah. and it was in Westminster and you had the most interesting range of speakers yeah
2: it was really 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 <laughs> wide range
1: yeah and I feel like you we met all sorts of people like um I say we met I <laughs> stood at the like edge of a railing and I like, watched um but there was like there were other activists there were politicians celebrities yeah. Um who was
2: that? Was it was Adrabo? Yeah, Abo was there, uh Suki Waterhouse, um Girly, the singer, she performed, oh, which is really fun. Um we had MPs like Jess Phillips, Paula Sheriff, um Shami Chakrabarti, just a really oh. wide range. of People from Bloody Good Period and Freedom for Girls. I
1: remember seeing the Bloody Good Period yeah. ladies speak. She and was so interesting. Yeah,
2: no, it was just really amazing. And I just felt like even though everyone was protesting against a really horrible and awful thing that shouldn't be happening there was still kind of like a positive atmosphere like it felt like everyone was there celebrating um celebrating periods really and so that's what made it really fun I thought but yeah it was amazing (laughs) such a fun day
1: (laughs) and um how did those people find out about your campaign?
2: the speakers yeah yeah so um I worked with two girls called Scarlett and Grace who founded Pink Protest which is like a feminist organization they help other campaigns and kind of work with other campaigners so I met them in August yeah August last year when they were filming um like a short film series about activism and so we got talking and we were just saying we really want to do something together and then we had the idea of a protest and then yeah and then we kind of just God, we had to do all this stuff that you don't even think of like telling the council notifying the police getting us booking a stage and mics and all this stuff and then we started looking into speakers and I think because the issue is obviously something that like we were saying before everyone agrees with nobody's really against the fact that period poverty shouldn't be happening so when we contacted people everyone was just immediately like oh my god yes I'll speak or like people were asking to speak they were approaching us which was just amazing amazing. it was really incredible to see and everyone was just so willing to do stuff and help and that's why I think 2,000 people came because it's not a divisive issue in any way I think everyone who hears about it immediately feels really strongly about it
1: yeah and what interests me so much about your experience with the campaign is that you addressed it on many levels. You were one of the first... um, I've seen, like, big UK-based kind of, like, political-slash-social campaigns that utilised social media really well. Um, And alongside that, you... with oh good words. Mm -hmm. With that, you also did a physical event that people could go to Mm -hmm. that made a lot of noise. And then you also did press. So you had like three kind of wings that worked really well together.
2: Mm.
1: How did you utilize the internet? And also what gave you the idea of creating a hashtag?
2: Mm, Yeah, I think I've never thought about it like that, really. I think in terms of the internet, I just kind of being a teenager and growing up on social media, when I heard about something I wasn't happy with and that I wanted to see, change just my first thought was immediately go to social media as in I told like my close friends and family but obviously you wanna reach a wider audience and I think the social media is just the best tool for that. Like you can just immediately reach all these people. So I thought of the idea of having a hashtag and obviously free periods as a as a name made sense and yeah and it just kind of caught on. I think because we have social media so accessible to us, like you just post something on Instagram and it just gets, like, I just saw things being shared over and over again, like, even if I didn't want them to, or if I didn't (laughs) anticipate that they would, it just kind of grew into this big thing, and now, like, I get contacted from people literally all over the world, wanting to start free periods in India, and other countries in Europe, So cool! it's amazing, and it also meant that I could be in contact with people who we could really collaborate with, like, people like Scarlett and Grace, who I could really get in touch with, and really work together, and I think that's just really really important so
1: that's really interesting because that means like kind of the origins of the movement in its physical sense were developed online yeah with, completely
2: oh, that's
1: so cool with yeah. um, two women that you met on the internet yeah. well you met in person but like collaborated with yeah online exactly. and then it also gained momentum there right we're gonna spill some tea how do you feel about Twitter and activism do you think it is the best platform for it
2: so I I never even had Twitter before I started Free Periods. No yeah. Way. So it's but, weird. <laughs> and
1: bearing in mind you're saying like, oh, like I'm a child of like the internet. No, I'm like yeah. kind of I've grown up with social media. That's so interesting to me because I would have assumed you were like an avid Twitter user that I know. just kind of was like, Oh, I feel
2: this way. So what were you using before that? Instagram. Yeah. I, I think it, I do think it's different for everyone like I knew that Twitter was big, but I also think it's just got to do with, like, what your friends use and, like, people kind of in your circle. So Twitter just wasn't really a big thing. And then when I started the campaign, and then, I don't know, at what, I think it was very early on, I started a Twitter account. And so my Twitter feed is just free periods. It's just like, a free periods Twitter. And I've just found it overwhelming at times yeah. because I feel like that's where, like, the activism is. That's where the campaigners, especially the campaigners who are older than me. So there's, like... People who are involved in period poverty and campaigning generally who are adults use Twitter but who are my kind of age and our kind of age definitely on Instagram more um, which is interesting and I suppose something that I've kind of got to had to get my head around but yeah I think it's interesting with Twitter because you definitely get more criticism on Twitter than Instagram or anywhere else but then it's also really good for kind of connecting to people.
1: Yeah, I think from what I've seen of, let's say, like political Twitter and inverted yeah. comments, <laughs> there's a real big thing with people are very loud. Yeah. And people people are there to share their opinion, whereas Instagram isn't for sharing opinions, it's for sharing ideas, yeah, I think. Yeah, I
2: agree, definitely.
1: Um, but that's personally how I've found it. But then it's really interesting to hear you reflect that. Mm. Yeah, I'm so interested in that as a, Yeah. As a thing, because I just assumed you'd been on Twitter because I was like, this is where activism happens, I but evidently it's not.
2: I feel like, I feel like it still is, but I don't, I think, I felt like I needed to start Twitter because I had the campaign, like, before that I would have still considered myself like an activist and still interested in, in like, political, cam- other political mm. political campaigns and politics, but... I don't know. I think I had Twitter like to scroll through for like the news and stuff like that, but I would never yeah. tweet. Yeah. Um, so did you did
1: you follow people on Twitter then? And you were kind of following because um, I find no matter what I do on Twitter, I am always I always end up seeing political stuff or yeah, social social awareness stuff. Mm. Were you in a similar boat when you were just browsing pre free periods?
2: Yeah, definitely. It was definitely political, and that I think that is like a really stark difference between Instagram and Twitter definitely yeah
1: i oh, i think it's interesting because now i think about it more mm. how i found out about the free periods campaign was actually through adra's um instagram oh really? and then through scarlet's oh right yeah so i was following both of them and i don't obviously i don't know either of them yeah um they're just like people on the internet like yeah. a cool yeah, and then yeah. i and that was i think what created the buzz for me and then i saw petitions mm-hmm. and then i saw you know, multiple other areas like and more hashtags and I was like, Oh, this is how so it was Instagram that did it for me. Instagram was the point where I went, Okay, I need to look into this. Yeah.
2: I think you have that and I was like a couple of days or weeks before the protest, I remember just like scrolling through Instagram and people it was just this like same poster of the protest was just on everyone's feed and I was like, it's just so powerful. Like you just have one image or one idea and then when people start to notice it and when people start to feel as strongly as you do about something and everyone's sharing it it just becomes yeah. a huge thing and like it all started from the internet as in it was basically just my friends and family who I told to come in real life everyone else was via social media and in the end 2,000 people came and that's all because of social media it's just so
1: cool and then obviously because life got in the way aka your A-levels yeah. <laughs> you couldn't keep um, the same level of momentum in terms of physical events because that's just impossible. Um, Do you see yourself picking up with the event stuff again even though you're like off to Cambridge this year and it's all very exciting and like potentially quite intense again?
2: It is. I think it got really intense immediately after the the protest it was very intense and then again kind of at the same time as my A-levels really where I just in this kind of weird... Zone of having to reply to all my emails, just saying no to practically everything, just because yeah. I had to revise. Yeah. Um, my mum didn't let me, <laughs> um, but I I kind of just realised like it all just takes a lot of time. Even though I would have never regretted starting it, and I enjoyed it, and I still feel so passionate that things need to change. I'll never give it up. But I was just really kind of overwhelmed with stuff. And then now in summer, I've managed to pick it up a lot, and I'm just doing everything I can before I go to uni. But we are hopefully thinking of doing something maybe in December like on the anniversary of the protests oh, that would be incredible because, I know just because I think so many people like that was the first point even though I, like at the time it had 100,000 now it has 180,000 people on the petition which is crazy. oh my goodness
1: I love yeah. that though because because it's such a good cause it naturally has momentum
2: yeah it just naturally galvanizes people because everyone who has a period and also people who don't everyone feels strongly about it because you just can't believe it's happening and happening in the UK as well um so even though there was all this momentum around the petition around social media the protest was the first time like we we're saying because it's physical it was the first time that it really sunk in for me that like people really care about this and they really want to be involved like they want to do more and I think I just think teenagers just get a lot of hate from adults kind of oh, like, they'll always tweet something or, like, like post on Instagram or watch a YouTube video but they don't actually care or they don't actually do stuff and that the protest was just, like, the prime example of that being untrue because... Mm. Everyone turned up and it was like five days before Christmas and really cold and yeah. <laughs> everyone came and it was just amazing and then in March, so three months after the protest, the government gave one and a half million pounds to end to address period poverty in the UK so it had a big impact it, it made change and I think that's what's really important so it shows you as well yeah. like
1: physical numbers don't have to be 150 thousand people or a hundred thousand people I've been on those protests that are big government issues. Mm-hmm. And like like austerity, for example, yeah. And they are enormous fifty thousand, hundred thousand 100,000 people. But oftentimes, that's much harder to enable. Just be- like any change off of the back of that, it's more of a solidarity, yeah, completely. and conveying that there are this many people that think this way. Whereas with period poverty, it sounds like you didn't need there to be this huge presence, but you needed there to be a presence physically, yeah. um, because that that was what drew their attention to it.
2: Exactly. Oh, it's so
1: cool. Like, <laughs> I, mean, I love that 2,000 people in person and a, a petition yeah. effectively had all of that change and so much buzz. There was one other thing that um, I mentioned earlier that happened as well, which was that you got interest from the press. Mm. Um Tell me about that as an experience. Like, what yeah. was that like being a 17 or 18-year-old and you're on BBC?
2: Yeah, no, it was really, really strange, I think. But like I said, because I started the petition just, like, online after I read about the issue, I was just not expecting... Like, at first, I was trying really hard to, like, get into get interviews and get kind of raise the profile of the campaign in some way and I was like emailing all my teachers and stuff trying to get them to sign I was trying to get like a 100 signatures at first and then when it started to grow and then I was being approached for stuff that's when it like it was real kind of I had to like adjust my thinking and like really kind of understand what I was getting into and it's been amazing there's been so much interest from the press and it's also been it's been quite overwhelming as well like I've had I remember like once I got an email in the morning saying can I go on iTV news? At lunch that day, and then I emailed back like I was in a, what? I was in a free and I emailed back like I'm actually at school and they were like, Oh, we'll come pick a, in a car, we'll send a car to pick you up at lunch. So I had to do that. So Did I'm you like, actually do it? Yeah. <laughs> oh my
1: goodness, I do love the people at was it at ITV News. Yes. Yeah, it I love ITV news. <laughs> they really they're like we worked with them on the buy the ballot stuff oh, and they're really,
2: just so nice. They were really nice, and like it but, was amazing I wow. could do that. So I literally left school, went, I like was wearing, wearing no makeup, like a like a horrible school outfit and um, I think I saw this is it it online isn't I don't even know I'm not sure actually but it was after a council in I think Wales um said that free menstrual products be provided in school so I was like I really want to do it and I really want to say that this is really important so I did it and then I had to go back to a history lesson (laughs) and like no one even knew I think the teacher thought I was just late
1: (laughs) I love that so much. Yeah. <laughs> and do you feel that the press was really helpful in getting your message out? Because I think previously a lot of um big political or social campaigns have needed the press. Whereas mm. potentially you're one of the new generation who do not need the press because you know how to utilize social media to your advantage. Did it help you to have press or like did you notice differences? Yeah. How was that for um, the campaign?
2: Yeah, I think it was really positive, because obviously it helped, it helped, on social media I could spread the message a lot, and obviously with the protest I could too, but the press was just like a huge, like another level, like I just felt, even though it was all a lot, like it felt a lot harder for me to do, I don't know why, I felt like there was this extra layer of pressure, just because you feel more distant from the people that you are connecting with. Obviously, over the press, that like you are not really connecting with anyone. You don't get a response,
0: mm. so
2: it was. It felt a lot more like me talking or me saying something, and you don't know if people agree or what they were thinking. Whereas on Instagram, you post something and then so many people like it and comment, and then people you know retweet on Twitter, and you are like, wow. okay, it's like a community. So I think that was the main difference for me, and I do think the press helped, especially kind of around the time of the protest. Again, like it was, it was just. Huge, like on the actual day, I actually missed the whole protest because I was kind of just moved into oh this corner. Gosh,
1: you had the swarms of people, didn't it you? It was crazy.
2: I wasn't even involved in the protest, I felt like I wasn't. I was in this corner and just being interviewed non stop. And then I remember I had to like go and do a speech, but I was in the middle of like BBC, so my dad came and like dragged me on stage and like had an argument with a journalist or something. But it was, oh it was really crazy, but it was. I think it paid off because it helped like m- more people than I'll ever know heard about it from from the news and yeah, yeah like, it was there's people like my mum who just
1: watch like the ten o'clock news yeah like every day as six o'clock and ten o'clock mm-hmm. just in case anything changed <laughs> and like those people like she knows all about the local things that happen she yeah. sees all the local reports and a lot of that is very like off the cuff on covering like local issues or really like um, kind of relevant obviously it's news relevant that day or that week yeah. And so it's, but that viewership is huge.
2: It's huge, it's massive. And it's, it does feel more impersonal because, of, like I said, it's like less of a direct connection. But I think the impact is definitely kind of worth it in terms of also because you have like all the people, like, like even my parents, who wouldn't have seen a campaign, or they might have seen it on Facebook, but they don't really use Instagram or Twitter, yeah. but they'd see it on the news. And so you're kind of reaching this whole other group of people that you wouldn't otherwise be connected to.
1: Definitely. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you might have seen like some brands have kind of co-opted the movement and mm-hmm. have used it to, like, um, to also further the 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 story of, of period poverty and yeah. make sure it is more well known. But also, um, I guess as a to get them involved in a campaign which ultimately has financial
2: exactly. uh,
1: gain for them. Yeah. How do you feel about that?
2: <laughs> yeah. You don't obviously
1: <laughs> don't have to answer like how dare they (laughs) but I'm just curious as to what that was like when you realized that was happening
2: yeah no it was interesting because I think when I started the campaign there were other campaigns around but none of them were from these big brands and so it started kind of I think when it felt like the media was picking up on period poverty that's when it started and obviously it's amazing that kind of these brands I can say like always in body form, yeah. Um, like always in body form, they did a lot. They have done a lot, but I do think they can always do more. And again, it does make it complicated when ultimately they are a business and they still need to, you know, make profit. And it's it's difficult because there'll always be that divide there between campaigning and obviously being a business, which is doing campaigns as well. But I do think a lot of brands have to be held responsible for the damage that they've done in terms of the taboo around menstruation. I just think. Like with the adverts with blue liquid, I think it's amazing that that's changing. But then they've solidified this kind of idea that we've I've grown up with that periods are disgusting and they can't be on TV and we can't see period bloods in TV adverts. And I do think that's really damaging in the kind of conversation and the way that young girls are brought up thinking about their periods and thinking about their bodies. I yeah, think definitely. There's a lot that needs to be changed in that respect.
1: Yeah, because I'm I'm involved with the Always campaign. Yeah, and I took it on because I love the message behind it, but I'm also aware, like I am an influencer. I can influence people to, to do as much as they can for it and to make them aware of the issue, but I am being paid. Mm, And like ultimately by working with a brand, I'm happiest to encourage a brand that's also trying to do, you know, uh, good social work. Yeah. I'm more than happy to be involved with a campaign like that, but I am aware that I'm, that there is a financial incentive for everyone to be involved. So it's, it's, it's interesting to me because it was a double-edged sword and as someone who yeah, had no financial incentive, you, you're, you got no financial incentive. Yeah. You are a student. Like, it must have been really odd watching, watching big brands and really big names get involved with a movement like this.
2: Yeah, I think it, it was strange, but I do also think that it has been so for example always have you obviously know like the donation drives and all that that's obviously yeah. even though it is driven by their own profits and kind of their own the fact that they're a business it's doing good and it's having good impact and like i've spoken to them about it and stuff and they were doing the kind of one pack um donations and things like that yeah. and sometimes i think they could have done more and you know it's, it's it is difficult because like i say they're a business but uh, yeah
1: yeah I find it really reassuring that um first of all I know that they've donated over five million pads which is I'm really happy with I think that's I think that's a really good number and they've been distributed to over 50 percent of comprehensive schools
2: yeah so it's
1: like it's actually gone to lots of people um and when I read that statistic I instantly felt so much better about my involvement because I was like oh this is actually reaching so many people it's not like they're just going to like I don't know, 10% of, yeah. of certain kinds of schools or something mm-hmm. like, or like in a certain area or like no, just Scotland. <laughs> yeah. like, it really is having an impact nationally. Completely. And also they are really committed to, um, or, or to my knowledge they're really committed to making sure this, this isn't just a one-stop shop campaign. No, like, they want it to it's go definitely on for a year. long-term
2: thing and yeah. I think that's amazing. It's definitely. great that they've
1: reached out to you as well. That yeah. really, I find that really reassuring. It sounds like they're... Ultimately their heart is definitely in the right place. No, for it.
2: Definitely, and I think there is so much that these brands can do and when they're doing it, it's just incredible yeah. to see to see that because the impact is just huge. Yeah, definitely.
1: And um when it comes to right, here's the big question. Yeah. The future of activism. Yeah. And particularly online activism, do you think from your experience you can tell where that's going like what is the future of activism big question
2: (laughs) maybe a small answer (laughs) um yeah it's hard I mean I'd love to think that kind of it's just kind of taking off now like I think that it's still it's to me it still feels kind of new like social media activism I think we had the whole phase phase of social media being new as like a concept and then becoming something we've always had and like a generation maybe like people slightly younger than me who've always known social media and then now I feel like it's kind of I mean I'd love to think that it's moving towards this like more altruistic kind of thing because I do think big brands and big apps they have this huge huge network of people and I've found for my own campaign it doesn't take a lot to spread an idea or spread a message and Sadly, obviously, that can be taken in the other direction as well. And it can be, it can turn into something really horrible. But when it does turn into something amazing, and something like good for the community, good for society, and really galvanizing, it can have a really, really positive impact. So I'd love to think
0: the future of activism
2: <laughs> is only, you know, it's only going up, and it's only going to get stronger and bigger. But... Yeah, that's really hopeful.
1: Yeah. I love that, though. I think we need a bit more optimism.
2: Yeah.
1: Like, I'm kind of bored of pessimism now. I'm not even following Brexit anymore. Like, I I'm not fully... <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: too much. <laughs> I'm like,
1: it will work out in one way or another. I know, maybe. maybe a financial crisis, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining thank me on this you. podcast. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Uh, and the Free Periods campaign. I'll link it all in the description of this podcast. I really really enjoyed that chat with Amika, I think she's fascinating and I think she really has a good perspective and a good handle on what is effective and what is not effective when it comes to online activism and bringing it into the tangible into the tangible making change <laughs> side of the world. I love Amika, we had such a good chat. I actually went to her house in North London and she offered me some cake but I couldn't eat it because I can't eat gluten and so she made me some yoghurt and fruit, which I thought was so sweet. She really didn't have to. She's just a really nice person. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Sunday Social. Thank you so much for listening. And let me know your thoughts on what the future of activism is on Twitter or on Instagram. Use the hashtag #TheSundaySocial. We also have Instagram if you're interested in following us. It is at The Sunday Social Podcast. And please leave a review on your favourite podcasting platform, all reviews are good. I love to see them. Thank you so much again for listening. And I will see you next week with another episode.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-Free Listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime
2: membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free
0: or go to amazon.com newsadfree